the congregation and particularly talking to parents and grandparents. We are amazed at times how our children not only look like us, but act like us and talk like us. And it can be encouraging and wonderful, but it can also be embarrassing and painful. We can see our own character reflected in our children, both the good and the bad. Children have our genes, whether we like it or not. But children not only look like us and act and talk like us in the sense of that they reflect hopefully what they learn from us, but also by what they observe in us. As someone once said, not only what they are taught, but what they caught. It's a good thing to reflect upon that. Do our words and actions convey the same message to our children? You see, because this is also the question, if we are indeed our believers, then the Lord God is our heavenly Father and we are his children. To what extent do we reflect who he is? through the Lord Jesus Christ. If indeed we are believers, then to be our elder brother who reflected his father perfectly, which we lost in the first Adam, but maybe restored in the second Adam, the Lord Jesus. With God's help, we want to just consider verses 1 through 8, and particularly the first couple of verses of chapter 5 of Ephesians. I'll just read verses 1 and 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor or flavor. So our theme is imitate your father. Of course, the question is, who is your father? Imitate your father. Because Jesus said at one point, you have your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you do. That's what we are by nature, but by grace, we're called to imitate our father in heaven. The first place, walk in love. Second, meditate on love. Third, resist through love. 
The first is the, the precept or the command. The second is the provision. And third, the practice. So imitate your father. And the first thing is walk in love. The precept. In verse 1 we read, Be therefore followers of God, as dear children. The word followers there is the, the word in the Greek there is the word we have mimic from. To mimic, to reflect, to resemble, to imitate. Here we have the precept to be godly or godlike. That's really what it is to be godly, is to be godlike. To act, to talk as God our Father in heaven. As he commands in 1 Peter 1.16, Be holy, for I am holy. So the first thing then, the first reason is his character. It's about who he is. As if to walk in love. For the same reason we're called in verse 2 to walk in love. It's who he is. 1 John 4 verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is holy. God is love. God is much more than that, but that's the two matters of our attention this afternoon. Holy love, or loving holiness. Of course, it doesn't mean that we will become God in the sense omniscient and omnipotent and all that. That belongs to God. That's the incommunicable, the non-communicable attributes of God. It's talking about the communicable attributes, the ones that He communicates to us and shares with us. And one of them is love. God is a spirit. So to be like God is not, in the first place, what we look like, but it's how we act and our motives behind our actions. Not in our own strength, but clearly in his. Not earned, as we mentioned this morning, but a free gift of grace, gift of love, as we heard this morning. Free, sovereign gift. That's why the word therefore in verse 1, connecting to the previous verses. Be therefore. For what reason? Well, 32 of the previous chapter, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You walk in love, you'll walk in the way of forgiveness, receiving and granting. As forgiven sinners, it's the second reason to walk in love. We are His children. It's not only about who God is, His character, but also about who we are, if indeed we're in Christ, His children. Very clear. As dear children, it says. Actually, the word there for dear is beloved. 
agape children. It's the highest form and expression of love. Love by the Father from eternity to eternity. Eternal in the I am that I am. It cannot change. And if you know, and I'm sure you do, that in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, chosen in Him that is in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. They have it in one verse, to be holy in Christ in love. That's 1 verse 4. 1 verse 5, it says, predestinated us to the adoption of children. Two verses in chapter 1. To the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. And then it follows, according to the good pleasure of his will. So God doesn't grudgingly grant it. It's his good pleasure. So often we think of the word pleasure as as pleasures of sin, and somehow we associate pleasure with sin, but it is good pleasure as it started. We spoiled the good pleasure of God. We ruined the word pleasure. But it says good pleasure. The good pleasure pleasure of his will. And children, young people, you know how, how happy your parents are when you love them, obey them. When you love each other, when you're kind to each other, to your brothers and sisters. How much more God when we walk in love Love him above all and our neighbor as ourselves. If our parents already delight in that and and are happy about it, how much more God if we would indeed walk in love? To love him above all and each other as ourselves. To be again reflecting the image, to get that restored image back that we lost in Adam, receiving it in Christ. So, walk in love. It's a precept. It's a command. Walk in love. So, we saw his character, who he is, where his children, indeed, if we are believers, who we are, or ought to be, but then, Third part here is his command. Walk in love. It's a command. It's not just an option given to us. Take it or leave it. There's only one response. Permit it. And it is obey. Do it. We're called to it. And it's his good pleasure to walk with us. And have us walk with him. So many pictures. If we saw this morning here again a picture. What does walking together mean? It's a picture of fellowship. Walking 
is a picture of life, fellowship. You do that with friends. You do that with family. You do that with people that you would like to be with. You talk, you walk, you fellowship. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? This is what started in paradise. Adam walked with God in paradise. I trust you know what the word paradise means, children and young people. It's Persian for Garden of Eden. And you know what Eden means? Garden of delights. Holiness, but also delight, happiness, imperfection. That's what we lost. That's what we call back to through Christ. Walk with God. We lost it, and yet we read beautiful examples throughout Scripture. One is a beautiful one in Genesis 5.24. Enoch, I'm sure you heard that, walked with God. And then in Hebrews 11, verse 5, we read about him that he had this testimony that he pleased God. So in Genesis we read he walked with God, but then it's explained in Hebrews that it was pleasing to God. Pleasing. Have you begun to taste that, practice that, experience that? Not only to do what you have to do, but what you delight in doing. Only, of course, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, this would be utterly impossible then the only way that God could deal with us is consume us in his wrath, his hot displeasure. So walk in love. Imitate your father. Walk in love. And then second, meditate on love. I want you to realize that, how amazingly beautiful Scripture is, and true Christian religion, compared to all other religions in the world, that which is commanded, perfection, holiness, love, is provided. All other religions, you have to somehow climb up to a sort of perfection, and nobody knows how good is good enough. But God's Word, is the one and only voice that says, be perfect, but come unto me, to my son, and I'll grant you that perfection for free. But as we heard this morning, go wash, then go in peace. And so we can receive and, and share in this Father's love only through his word and by his spirit, both of which he provided freely. Not only reading the scriptures, but searching the scriptures. Not just read it, done, but search it. It's for hid treasure, because there is treasure. 
but not without searching the Scriptures and meditating on, on them, on what God says, not just to people way back then, but to me, to you, today. And pray for the Holy Spirit that your eyes may be opened, your understanding be enlightened. That you may hear and hearing see something of Jesus. Do you do that? Not just read the scriptures, but search. Dig till you find. Be still to seek. The same as search, Jesus says, shall find. Those that knock, it shall be opened. Something to consider. Search the scriptures, Jesus says. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. To see the Lord Jesus as a visible manifestation of the love of God. We read this in 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, without dispute, great is the mystery of godliness, godlikeness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was made visible in the Lord Jesus as he walked upon the face of the earth. There's two pairs of keywords that I would like you to to reflect on and to remember. The first pair is conviction and confession. It's already related a little bit to what I said this morning. Conviction and confession. Because before we look to the Lord Jesus to become like Him, to imitate Him, we must know and remember what He has done for us. We see that in our text here. So before we consider him as our example, we must consider him as our Lord and Savior. Therefore, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ hath also loved us. How? He's given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. He gave himself. He humbled himself, even to the death of the cross. And we often think about that, and it is beyond description what happened on the cross. But do not forget that the Lord Jesus humbled himself and suffered his entire life. Have you ever thought about that? That he who is called the light of the world was enclosed in a dark womb? And he walked among his family. How the sins of his father, mother, and siblings must have hurt him. But he went on. All the way to the cross. Knowing all things that should come upon him. Went forth. He gave himself for us. Because he loved us. If indeed, of course, we have repented and are repenting of our sins and believe in Him, 
Otherwise, we cannot include ourselves in the us. It's an urgent matter. It's a command. And we cannot excuse ourselves by saying, I cannot do that. God says, I will provide it. I will give you whatever you need. I've heard this morning. But I've begun. I will perfect. Jesus suffered lifelong and increasingly intensely especially in that last week, forsaken by all, even by his father. They all left him alone. Consider how he perfectly obeyed the law where we fail and fall short of the glory of God. Oh, let it deeply convict us. There is no excuse for any sin. Children, young people, can you say the word no? I'm sure you can. Every temptation, we can say no. It's not deep down what we are able to do, but what we are willing or unwilling to do. The root of our inability is our unwillingness. You saw that too when the Lord Jesus walked upon the earth. They were either repentant and believing or they were full of anger. They either responded in love or they hated him. No middle ground. Let it convict us deeply. Not only that he did it, but he did it for sinners. Jesus says in John 15, he says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13, that's, that's one thing, to lay down your life for friends, but for sinners, for enemies. That's what he did for us. But let's not only look to the Lord Jesus with conviction, realizing what he did for us, but also with confession, Because there's no forgiveness without it. There's plenty of redemption through it. But none of it without it. Confession. So conviction and confession. So when we're convicted, confess. Here is where we often fail. In our relationship with God and with each other. I read once, what are the most Three most difficult words in the English language to say. You know what they are. I am sorry. And the next three, please forgive me. What is so difficult about saying that? 
It's not the words, but it is the humbling thing that you have to confess that you failed. Asking forgiveness. Verse 32 of the previous chapter, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. I read somewhere this comment. Most of what a psychiatrist does is directly related to forgiveness. Either an unwillingness to ask for it or an unwillingness to grant it. How many issues in families, in churches, in society would be resolved if people would say these words, I'm sorry, and then be specific what for, and then ask, please forgive me. And then the other person says, yes, I will. I'm sure when you've gone that and done that many times, how amazingly everything clears away. It's so hard to get over that hump. I think that's why we find it also so hard to find forgiveness of our sins when we turn to God. Will God really forgive me? I've sinned so many times to Him in the same way. We find it so hard. Remember what Peter once said? How many times do I forgive my brother? Seven times? He thought he stretched it. Seventy times seven, Jesus says. And why is that? That's because of how God deals with us. How many times would you forgive somebody that repeatedly does the same thing over and over to you? How prone we are to say, and I've done it. I have to confess that. I've, I've done that. My children would come and say, please, Dad, forgive me. And I would say, yeah, yeah, but you keep doing it. How are we before God? It's not to minimize sin, but it's to maximize grace. Confess. God makes it so plain in 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Justification, sanctification. And the word if can also be translated as when or whenever we confess. He's faithful because he promised. He's just because the price is paid. For seven Just a couple verses before this, verse 9. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So conviction and confession. And the second pair of words is comfort and courage. So conviction, confession, and then comfort and courage. You see, this readiness to forgive, in spite of the fact that we have no excuse for any sin, and yet God forgives, who shall stand before God? Psalm 130. It's a rhetorical question. Yet there is forgiveness with God, that he may be feared. 
to not only receive that forgiveness, but also to be willing to forgive others when they confess to us. Just like God does for us, we do to each other. Make us willing to forgive. You see, this comfort, this comfort of being forgiven will be ruined and spoiled, the comfort, and not the forgiveness, but the comfort of it, when we are unforgiving to others. You cannot go back to the Lord and ask for forgiveness if you will not forgive your brother or your sister or your children. We will display a forgiving attitude to others. Peace with God and with each other. We're not only then cleansed, justified, but also purged from sin, being sanctified. As our Heavenly Father walks with us and we with Him, He makes us both willing and able. He makes us willing in the day of His power. Once we are being made willing, we will also be enabled. He guarantees that. How do you do that? How are you doing with that? Forgiving others in what they have done at some point to you. Have you ever come to the realization that whatever they have done to you is in no comparison to what you've done to God? So if you truly have an impression of being forgiven, you cannot but be forgiving. That's walking in love. Not only comfort, but courage to go on and to be imitators of God as Christ by his word and spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he says, be ye followers, and it's the same word, imitators, of me, even as I also am of Christ. So the more you follow Christ, the more you will show the same reflection, the same image. Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Romans 12.1 Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Pleasing to God, pleasing to your neighbor, pleasing to yourself. A win, win, win situation. But then we get the third aspect here of this passage. Resist through love. Imitate your father. So we're commanded to walk in love. That's a precept. Meditate on love. That's his provision. That's the fountain from which we're called to drink. That's the energy that we receive. The power of the Holy Spirit indwelling, not only in Christ, but also in us. But then we see there comes a warfare. It's going to be a battle. No wonder that the next chapter is about the armor of God. Resist through love. What does it look like? It's a warfare. It's a battlefield. Augustine said, 
from one place, and it's often taken out of context. They forget the second part. They just quote this, love God and do whatever you please. But then he goes on to say, for or because the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. So often people try to contradict the gospel with the law. But there's harmony. The summary of the Ten Commandments is on the first table to love God above all, the first four commandments, and the second table, the next six commandments, is love your neighbor as yourself. To love is to keep the law. To keep the law is to love. It ought to be a delight. But the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 finds this war within himself. And we find the war within the world here. As I already mentioned, when there's hardly any balance here. It's either, as it was with the Lord Jesus, loving him, following him, or hating him and wanting him dead. And we see it happen today in our society. More and more you see the conflict between love and hate. But the battle is also within us, in our own lives, in our hearts and minds. The warfare within and in our families. Children, when young people, when your mom or your dad asks you to do something, and how do you respond? Oh, do I have to do that now? Yes, you have to do that now. Okay, I'll do it. Or you say instead, you want me to do that, mom? Uh, my pleasure. That's what it is. Obedience is pleasure. Obedience is love. Obedience is loving the other rather than yourself. And this battle we find here in verse 3. But the first... The first word there, if you see, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. You see the contrast there. It's a warning. Be aware. Be prepared. Not only that love is opposed, but also corrupted. Things are pre presented as love, which are not love at all. Fornication, the word we have pornography from. Sexual immorality. Uncleanness, impurity, or unholiness. Covetousness. Greediness. Lusting after the forbidden. Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil. You do the lust of your father. Loving ultimately self. Doing that which will not please ever. You see it happening in the world. People are pursuing all these things. Are they ever happy? Favorite stars, movie stars, rock stars, they have all the money they want. And often they die unhappy. Drugs, alcohol, suicide. 
is doomed to fail. It's because God did not design us that way. We have the privilege to know the way. Are you walking this way? It's the question. It's interesting how it says, let it not be once named among you. Don't let it even be mentioned. Don't let it be known. Don't let it exist. Don't even talk about it, let alone done. Let there be no evidence at all, not even a hint. That's really what it's saying. Let it not be once named. Let it not be there among you. It doesn't belong there. As becometh saints. So it's not only sinful and wrong, but it's inconsistent with being a believer. It says, as becometh saints, as is fitting or becoming or proper for a saint. It doesn't belong together. That's what it's saying. Inconsistent. A sinner, yes. A saint, yes. But a sinner still. Being saved is a, by faith, by grace, from unholiness to holiness. From hatred to love. Even, as I said this morning, I believe, about reasonable service, it makes sense. It is reasonable. God created us to delight ourselves in him. And so have the desires of our heart fulfilled. You read it in Psalm 37. So resist through love. You see a contrast here. And it's amazing how it relates to speaking, to conversation. It's not only about actions, but it has a lot to do with, with speaking. It says in verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting or joking, which are not convenient. It's the same word. It's not becoming. It's not fitting. Foolishness. Foolish talking, filthiness, jesting. Filthy talk, silly talk, superficial talk. You have to give an account of every word, every idle word spoken. No jesting, flippant jokes or immoral jokes. You see, dear congregation, this is no joking matter. So it's not only don't do it, but even don't talk about it. Don't joke about it. Don't be flippant about it. See, if anything happened today, that's, that's what's happening. It's in our face. In the news, in colleges, and even elementary schools, public schools, in courthouses, in all around in government halls. These things are not only spoken about, but 
promote it. This kind of living, which is the opposite of what God has created us for. We're being desensitized. It begins almost to look normal, okay. Even we as Christians are perhaps getting being desensitized. If you hear it often enough, it doesn't sound as bad. It's not okay. It's off limits. The Bible gives it very plain zero tolerance. Not once named among you. Not once joked among you. It's not convenient. It's not suitable. It's not fitting. But what is? Giving thanks? That's an enormously beautiful turnaround, but rather giving of thanks. So how do we resist this sin? How do we resist darkness? How do we fight darkness? Well, by turning on the light. There's only one way to destroy darkness, to expose it to the light. We can't fight darkness in itself. We can't fight sin in itself. We need to turn from it to the Lord. He will then assist us and equip us and enable us and give us what we need when we need it, as you heard this morning. So we go from the negative to the positive. We we fight all these negatives by pursuing the positive. Turning to the Lord Jesus. Turning to his word. Leaning on the power of the spirit. Somebody once says an attitude of gratitude. Reflecting upon what Jesus has done for us. As he goes before us. As we walk behind him. Fixing our eyes on the light. Turn away from darkness to the light. So not only just resist and fight. Because it often we're prone and tempted to do it in our own strength. But we're nothing but weakness. We must turn to him. And, and when we do turn to him, he will give us what we need. When we need it. Just like Naaman, perhaps when he did come back home. Who knows what happened to him? He was afraid he would cave. And so are we many times. That's why we cannot fight against the darkness without turning to the light first. So not only avoid sin and be thankful and Express it, but to also to let our hearts and our minds be filled with the Word of God. Not only search the Scriptures, but reflect upon it, meditate on it, pray over it. So that your mind will be enlightened. Your will and your affections be engaged. And so, 
begin by the grace of God to fight the darkness that is within you and around you. Let our minds and our hearts be filled with abundant, wholesome matter. It matters what you watch and what you read, dear congregation. It impacts you more than you realize. Then we also will know what to say. We read in Matthew 12, 34, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you find that in these verses more frequently repeated. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What do you talk about is what you have reflected upon, what you have absorbed. What comes out of you and me when we visit with one another? Years ago, I heard about the GIGO principle. I was talking about computers. Have you heard of the GIGO principle? Gigo, garbage in, garbage out. In other words, it was expressing the limitations of computers. They're only as good as the stuff you put in there. If you put garbage in it, don't be surprised if garbage comes out. If garbage goes into your mind, into your heart, and into your, what you absorb, don't be surprised if it comes out. That's how we fight against the darkness, by filling that which is good. So that out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouth will speak truth, love, kindness. And there's a third key word here, commitment. It's not only about the contrast that we are facing and that involves our conversation, our talk, not only our actions but it involves a commitment. And that was this morning too, about a commitment. Verses 5 through 8. This passage, I'll go into many details here, but very plain. Verse 5. For this you know, he's appealing to their knowledge of what they have learned already. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, is about, about the same words as in verse 3, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, that does not mean that such a person cannot be saved. But it does mean that if we absorb it, if we live in sin and indulge in sin in a sinful way, then at best we are backslidden. At worst, we're still an unbeliever and lost. It doesn't mean that we cannot be saved. It doesn't mean that we trip at times and stumble into it. But what is our prevailing attitude toward this, in this battle, in this holy warfare? This you know. It's very emphatic in the original. You know. You have learned it. And some of it by painful experience. Sometimes you learn things and you get it. Sometimes you learn things by failing over and over. 
through painful experiences, sometimes you finally get it. What does the Lord have to do in, in our lives for us to get it? And to live accordingly. And then for six, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. The children of obedience will experience the love of God. The children of disobedience will experience the wrath of God unless we repent and believe and search the Scriptures to fill our mind with that which is good and right and holy and wholesome. Know what, know is what awaits the disobedient. Very clearly the disobedient, the wrath of God will be poured out upon them. But the obedient, the ones that turn to God for what he commands and provides will experience the love of God in an ever-increasing measure. Even the most advanced among all believers has only tasted a little bit of that. Eternity, someone said, will be not long enough to experience the love of God. The disobedient will not only be kept out of heaven, but sent into hell to suffer God's eternal and infinite wrath. Have you thought about it? Eternal, that's a time span. Infinite is the mass of it. But then the ones that do turn to God and plead for grace and confess their sins and look to the Lord Jesus Christ and seek to know him, to know him or to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, they will experience that love. Also eternal. Also infinite. Eternal has to do with the time. Infinite has to do with magnitude. Forever and forevermore. And then for seven and eight, and just conclude with that, be not ye therefore partakers with them. Have nothing to do with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Don't be deceived by vain, smooth talk. Don't be tricked. Turn back to the word. Whatever you hear said, whatever you are taught, go back to the word of God. What does God say? Not what do I think or feel or somebody else that I greatly respect, but what does God say? Be sure about that. Therefore, says, walk as children of light. You were darkness. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But by the grace of God, through faith, brought to see it. To see it and to do it. Looking to Jesus. That image being renewed day by day. Walk in love with God and with each other. James calls it in chapter 2, verse 8, the royal law, the law of love. And in chapter 2, he talks about the law of liberty. It's the same thing. 
It is freedom. All the other is bondage. We're set free from the bondage in Egypt as people of God, but how many perished in the wilderness of this world? As people of God, we are set free. But will we enter into the promised land? Or will we perish in the wilderness? And you know why? Because of unbelief. Reflect upon this. What will you do? What do you really want? What kind of liberty do you long for? Are you longing for the liberty, the freedom from sin? To be done with sin. That's what heaven is going to be. Only in part. I can only stammer at that, what that means. Augustine says, love God, do whatever you please. That's heaven. On earth, now only by foretaste, but one day in perfection. Can you just imagine to do as you please and not sin? That's what heaven is going to be. To love God above all and our neighbor as ourselves, that's going to be fulfilled in a perfection that we only begin to grasp. So walk as children. Be a therefore. And the therefore relates what Jesus has done for us. Be therefore followers of God as beloved, as dearly beloved children. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us, has given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Love as you have been loved. Forgive as you have been forgiven. That's the beginning of a new paradise. The new garden of Eden The Bible ends with that again. There'll be a paradise, a new heaven, a new earth. And it will be a garden of delights. Holy love. Holy delights. What do you pursue? Take that with you today. Amen. Gracious God, we plead with thee that thou wilt grant us a sight of this. That we may see as we hear, as we hear the word proclaimed, that we may see the Lord Jesus Christ living it for us and before us. We may know him as our Lord and Savior and then follow, imitate him, become more and more like unto him. So that the image that we lost, the image of thee as our heavenly father may be restored in us. Go with us now as we go to our homes. Forgive us our sins, also the sins of today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.